Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you again and great to worship with you and on this Lord's Day. You have your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and uh, we'll be looking at verses 26 to 31. You know, we have in our great state an NFL Hall of Fame, and uh, it's a testimony to a group of people who have extraordinary athletic ability. It is an exclusive club. It's reserved only for those who have excelled everyone else. And you don't get into that ring of honor by being incapable and unathletic. It's a tribute to human ability and human accomplishment. And certainly those inductees are to be admired for being more than we could ever hope to be. As far as athletics is concerned, compared to them, we are nothing. Did you know that God also has a hall of fame? Maybe it's best to call it the hall of no fame. And you might be surprised how you get into this exclusive group. And you might be astonished at the names that you see on this monument. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31, I'm calling this God's hall of no fame. I started to call it God's hall of shame, but I thought that might be going a little far. I want you to take a look at this section of scripture and remember this about the Corinthian church. There's disunity in it. There is rivalry. There is envy. There is jealousy. There are uh, groups, uh, according to social affinity, that will not associate with other groups in the church because they are of lower status. There are those who are uh, intellectuals and they do not want to really worship with those who are not aspiring to the same level of Greek wisdom that they aspire to and so on and so forth. And so people are gathering into little groups based upon uh, things that they share in common. And usually the commonality is a superiority to some other group. And so all of that's going on in the church about who can be the greatest and which group uh, that you're in uh, is going to reflect upon your social status and so on and so forth. So you could imagine all of this. Brothers and sisters, this is not theory. This happens in churches often. Um, I know of a church not too far from where I used to live, and they had a church split over Amway. One guy started out selling the other, and it got ugly. Now you know why I don't let y'all sell candy bars for school functions in here. It's like, get that stuff out of here. We're not doing it. You go home and call. You have a church director, you can call everybody you want to. But don't, we don't need Pamper Chef. They can do that somewhere else, okay? That's on your own time. This is not, you know, sales environment. So I, you know, keep the, it, I'm telling you, it doesn't take anything for people to begin to take sides on things. Very few church splits are over anything of significance. And some churches do stay together in one building, but it's like they're in the same octagon together. If you know what MMA is. MMA is, it's good training for deacons meetings. No, I'm just kidding. It's not. It's not. I'm just kidding. It's not. Well, let's look at this uh, God's Hall of No Fame. I want you to see, first of all, the pedigree of God's 
chosen ones. Look in verse 26. For consider your calling. Boy, I tell you, if you just take those words and would reflect on that on a daily basis. To consider means to just roll it over in your mind over and over your calling. What does it mean by calling? It means the effectual call of God in which he touched your heart through the preaching of the gospel and he ignited faith and repentance in your heart which caused you to love Jesus and respond to him. That's God's calling on that. Okay, that's what that's talking about. And, and repeatedly we see in this first chapter the call of God to salvation. So consider, think about, do you remember when you sensed the calling of God? Do you, do you remember that? There was, there was this time you began, I mean, Anna was talking about this morning. It was kind of a growing thing. She began to sense it over a period of time. It just kind of came to fruition that this is God, you know, working on my heart to respond to him. So consider your calling, brothers. And remember, he's talking to Christians here. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Now notice here we're talking about the pedigree of God's chosen ones. Who are they? They have some certain characteristics that they generally share according to the world they are the foolish ones verse 27 speaks of that God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise now these are the ones who are not the scholars according to the world's standards they're ordinary people if you remember Peter and John were called before the Jewish team of lawyers and intellectual professors and they were interrogated thoroughly because they were preaching the resurrection from the dead in Jesus. And Peter proclaimed right in their face that there was salvation in none other for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And the Bible says that this council of scholars was astounded by the boldness of Peter and John and they perceived that they were uneducated men and they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Now I have seen churches and pastors take that as a proof text that your pastor ought to be barely literate. That the more uneducated you are, the greater value you have to God. That's not what that's teaching. What it's teaching is that your calling is not based upon that at all. Your effectiveness in the kingdom. God does not search out those who are the most educated and call those people. Generally speaking... God calls those that the world would consider foolish. Do you know the Greek world had no concept of what a week was? You know, we live by a seven-day week. You know, we go to work for a week, we're paid weekly, whatever it is. So, but the Greek world had no concept of that. There was no such thing as weeks. There was no such thing as Monday or Tuesday or Sunday. 
They didn't understand why. They thought that was foolish. Where did that concept come from? It came from the Sabbath day. And Seneca said that that was the most foolish thing imaginable that you would take one day out of the week and dedicate it to the worship of God. What a dumb idea, he said. Foolish things. According to the wise people of this world, we do a lot of foolish things. What fool would give 10% of his money to an organization not run by professionals? That's a foolish thing to do. What person would give up three hours of their morning on Sunday when they could be playing golf? Which they're obviously terrible at, but it's foolish. What person would turn down a job transfer that would cause them to have to work on Sunday and instead keep a job of lesser pay so that their Sunday would be free to worship with their brothers and sisters in Christ in their local church? That's a foolish thing to do according to this world. Why would people quit their jobs and go into the ministry? It's a foolish thing to do. But God calls the ones that the world considers foolish. Also, the characteristics according to this world of those that God chooses would be the feeble. In verse 27, he says, what is weak in the world? That is, these people have no earthly power. They have no social influence. I get tickled at Young people now, they want to get on Twitter and they're going to be an influencer. Are people that gullible? Someone who's never done anything in life or accomplished a single thing is going to be an influencer? Influence to what? I'm going to influence. Well, according to this world, if you're a person of influence, you're a, a somebody. You matter. But God has chosen, God chose, the Bible says, what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Why does God do this? Why does God choose those who are not the world shakers and not the difference makers? Doesn't it seem like it just things would work better if God would choose people that were people of influence? It sure would make this thing go a lot easier. But the Lord says this, my strength is made perfect in weakness. God doesn't normally choose the pop stars, the movie stars, and the celebrity athletes. Have you ever noticed that? Why not? Because their influence then as a Christian is more attributed to their own influence rather than to the work of the Spirit of God in a weak person. God chose, the Bible says, the weak in this world. Not only that, here's another characteristic of God's chosen ones, those in the hall of no fame, the fringe. Look what he says. He chose, God chose in verse 28, what is low and despised in the world. The word low means not from a powerful family. You see, the Christian life and the kingdom of God is, does not hinge upon the Rockefellers, the Gates, or the Musk family. Have you ever noticed that? God chose the insignificant. Maybe we can put it that way. And then he says the despised. What does that mean? Those, according to this world, who are worthless. 
not someone that the world admires. We see this played out over and over again. God chooses a man who stutters to lead a million people out of bondage. God chose a shepherd boy with a slingshot to bring down the largest human being I've ever heard of. God chose one prophet, Elijah, to stare down King Ahab, the most powerful man in the world, and his evil wife Jezebel. We see this all the time through Christian history. Martin Luther was a miner's son. William Carey was a shoe repairman. Dwight Moody was a shoe salesman. It pleases God to choose the foolish and the feeble and the fringe of society. And now we see why. The next verses tell us the purpose then. Why does God do it this way? The purpose in God's choosing, verses 29 and 30. So that, that this is your purpose. The, the Bible, the word so that, this is purpose. See, I, I don't have to make this up. The Bible's full of this stuff. If you just read this thing the right way, there's a sermon that comes right out of it. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God is not going to have a kingdom that is credited to human ability. He is just not going to have it. To bring worship and admiration to some being lesser than himself would be blasphemy. He's not going to do it. So the reason that God does things this way is so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. The purpose in God's choosing. Why does God do it this way? We can say it this, this way. He has a twofold purpose here. I believe the word and in verse 30 connects the second purpose here. So he has a twofold purpose. First of all, to abolish human boasting, as we've already said, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Do you remember what God told Gideon? Gideon had 32,000 men well outnumbered. And God said, you still have too many. And he whittles that army down to 300. This is the original 300, y'all. And he whittles that army down to 300. And they take them. They, They win. And why does God do it that way? God tells Gideon why. So that you won't boast. The apostle Paul had what he says, a thorn in the flesh. Why? God says, so that you might not be exalted through all of the visions that you've had. The people need to understand, Paul, that it is not your intellectual acumen. You're a smart dude. But it's not through that. It's not through your education or anything else. Only as those things are laid at my feet and you realize that you are weak and you can do nothing apart from me. Then my glory is shown through your life. To abolish human boasting do y'all know where I'm from I'm from Hines Creek Road Possum Hollow Road ain't got nothing on us I make fun of Mike Carl all the time about Massiville Mike where I'm from Massiville would have been a metropolis 
The nearest McDonald's was 25 miles away. There was nothing on the road. When I, when I was growing up, our road was a gravel road. You know what the police department was? Smith and Wesson in my dad's dresser drawer. There ain't nobody coming to help. It would have taken... Listen, this is before GPS, y'all. The young people here don't realize what that means. This is for GPS. You'd have to send smoke signals to the rescue squad from where I was at. You'd go days without seeing people. It took me two hours to get to school. When I was in high school, the early years before I could drive and I had to ride a bus, it took me two hours. You'd get up early in the morning and, you know, you'd wait on the bus and you'd drive that thing around back in the bushes back in there. Some of those roads are so small, the bus had to back up three or four times to get down in there. And we'd go around the loop. Hudson Gap and all this stuff. I don't know the names of the roads now. Bull Run, whatever else. And we'd pick up kids. And then we'd go to the elementary school. And we'd drop us off there for 45 minutes and wait for the next bus to come. I mean, people could get to Oklahoma faster. That's where I grew up. I grew up at a place where our neighbors did not have an indoor toilet. That's where I grew up. I, I grew up in a class where, from the area I grew up in, there's nobody of significance come from there. I mean, the closest thing we had to a celebrity was Chet Atkins. Nobody. Maynardville was, man, that was a step up. I'd had to go to Virginia Welch's grocery store to get fast food. Virginia Welch ran a grocery store about as big as a Sunday school classroom we got in here. And she'd say, what do you have? I said, bologna sandwich. And she'd go back and get off the shelf a loaf of bread, make a bologna sandwich, give it to you there for a dollar and put the, put the, the, the loaf of bread back on the shelf. And somebody got, they've got, you know, they lost two slices of bread when they bought their loaf. I don't know who it was. That's how she ran business. That's where I grew up. I grew up in a bedroom where the, where the water would freeze during the winter. You had a glass of water. I'm not kidding. So that's how I grew up. Nobody. And God saw fit to call four preachers from that little road. Four of us. For what reason? I don't know. None of us could do anything. My neighbor Gary was probably the best. He at least was a carpenter, a decent carpenter. I couldn't do anything but mash fingers and bend over nails. I couldn't do anything right. But God chose. And see, you find that those coming to salvation in Jesus, the ones that are tough to get the gospel to, are those that already have a head full of knowledge that they think is wisdom. Or those who are in society that think they're somebody. They think they don't need anybody, including the Lord. I had a friend in seminary one time. And he was from California. And over one weekend, he said, uh, guess what happened this weekend? I said, what? He said, I led John Wayne to Jesus. I said, man, tell me about that. And so he was telling me about it. I said, you need to share that in chapel. He said, I'm not going to do it. I said, why not? He said, because I don't want anybody to think that that was more important than winning the guy down at the rescue mission this weekend. 
See, those people are few and far between. We like to peddle our goods on the back of those that we think are influential in society. Oh, if we could just win this person. Oh, if we could. And all of our confidence is in human ability. And the whole time we're working against God with that kind of thinking. And the kind of thinking that God has is that he calls those that are considered foolish and feeble and fringe people. Those are the ones he has chosen. Now, the purpose is why to abolish all human boasting, we have nothing to brag about. Who saved themselves? No one. We have nothing to brag about. I was remember early in my Christian faith, there's a guy that I, I, I love, but he... You know, he got a hold of some gospel music and he would sing, you know, and he had a good voice and he would sing. And you know how they do it kind of mimics the Grand Ole Opry in Southern gospel music. There's kind of a a carryover there. And um, so he's very, you know, uh, opposite of me and is thinking about how God works in people's lives. And and so during this song, you know, you have a little break and he's he's talking, you know, giving his testimony. And he just said something like this one day. I was glad I was smart enough to choose Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I, I, I was not very schooled in theology at the time, but something about that just hit me wrong. I'm like, something's wrong with that. I, I didn't know enough of the Bible at that time really to, to understand what was wrong with saying that. But that's the whole problem with folks that are going to choose Jesus and they think they're going to do it by their own human choosing alone. There's something wrong with that. What is it? The, the, what's wrong is I'm going to choose. That, that's the problem. I'm just going to do this. Well, the problem with, with that way of thinking is that the scripture says God chose. And God chose based upon people not wise enough to choose him. No. But those that are foolish and feeble and fringe. Why? To abolish all human boasting. But also this. God, his purpose in choosing This is so that he might amplify his blessings. Verse 30 says, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. And then it says about Jesus, he became to us wisdom from God. Now, the the other wisdom that's being talked about is, think about it like this. If you were to start a religion, would you choose the foolish, the feeble, and the fringe? No. Human wisdom would say, no, we're going to choose the popular and the prosperous. That is the best way to build a kingdom. We got to get those people. That's what, and if the others want to come along, that's all well and good. But we got to get those people. We're going to build a kingdom. And that's human wisdom. And God's just the opposite of that. No, my wisdom is this, that I choose those who are the foolish and the feeble and the fringe. I choose those that don't have those things. Why? So that nobody can boast. But the other reason is this. That I can amplify my blessings to you. And here's the thing. For those who have been chosen by God. They now are the wise ones in God's eyes. Why are they wise? Because in being in Christ. That is being in union with Christ. You now have something. That the world's power. The world's prosperity. The world's popularity cannot buy. You have something that cannot be gained by that means. What do you have? Three things. You have righteousness, you have sanctification, and you have redemption. What is righteousness? This is the judicial standing that you have before God. You have been declared righteous 
by him. How are you declared righteous? You're not righteous. I'm not righteous. How is that so? How could God, is God uh, just ignoring the rules here? Is God just saying, well, you know what? I'm just going to ignore all their unrighteousness. No, this is based upon the fact that Jesus Christ, our unrighteousness is downloaded on him on the cross. And so he dies in our place and then his righteousness is credited to our account for those of us who believe in him. So when you're welded to Jesus, unrighteousness is accredited to him and he dies for it and his righteousness is credited to us. And we now have a judicial standing of a righteous person. You don't get that by human wisdom. You don't get that by being smart. You don't get that by being prosperous. You don't get that by being elevated in the society. You don't get that by higher social standing. You don't even get that by being on the cover of great seal living. You, you, you can't have it. It's only by being in Christ. Secondly, sanctification. This is change of life. How is a life really changed? It's changed by the work of God in the human heart. So that the thinking changes. The affections change. The will changes. And so sanctification is a change of life brought about by the working of Christ in the human heart. Then the outer changes happen. We make a terrible mistake with our unsaved friends, our non-Christian friends, by trying to preach morality toward them. It's a terrible mistake. They need inner transformation so they'll want to change. Until the want to gets changed, the outer part's not going to change. They may make some adjustments to conform so that you'll like them better or so they won't get in trouble or whatever, but their life is not going to change. They still want the same things they've always wanted. Some of you are dog lovers. Do you know what dogs love to do? Eat puke. You find a pile of puke and a dog will lap it up. Now that's your sparky. Now you can do all kinds of things to train that dog. And you can beat that dog and you can jank, yank it with a chain or put those, you know, electric fence, invisible electric fence. I had a dog that just ran right through that, didn't even care. And so you can do all kinds of things and try to modify the behavior. But I'm telling you, at the heart of that dog, if you're not watching and you let Sparky go and Sparky finds some puke, there he goes. It's just what dogs do. And so when, when I see your dog kissing you in the mouth, I, I just cringe. I'm like, I know what your dog does, lady, you know. And so, and you guys think I'm anti-dog. I love dogs. I, I think dogs are great. You know, they're just not human. I mean, I just don't see a lot of humans down the ground licking puke. I just haven't seen that a lot. Maybe you're, di- you're different from me. Do you ever think you're going to come to church today and talk about puke? I, I don't know where that's coming from. But it takes an inner change. You haven't changed the dog. The dog's nature is the same. And it's the same thing with a human being. Their nature is just to pursue sin and love it. That's just our nature. And until Christ comes into the life and begins to cause you to want to love righteousness, you never will. You'll never love righteousness. But God, in His wisdom, gives us Christ And Christ in us causes us to want to change. That's the wisdom of God. And then redemption. It's almost like God has listed these uh, backwards almost here. But redemption is this. When you are united with Christ, you're in union with Him. By faith, you put your faith in Christ. And that mysterious union takes place. 
then what happens is this. The unpayable debt that you had because of your sin. Remember, the wages of sin is death. What is the, what is the payment for sin? What is the debt that sin requires? Death. And you can't pay it. And Christ pays it for you and frees you from debtor's prison. That's what redemption is. Paying a price for your release. And we know that the scripture tells us that Christ pays this price by his precious blood for our release from prison. From slavery to sin and its awful penalty. It's by redemption. Now let me ask you a question. Who's the wisest one now? It may seem to the world that it's foolish to give up maybe dreams that you have, maybe practices that you love, maybe time that you normally wouldn't give up, even money that you would like to keep for yourself, but you give all of that up. That seems so foolish. But it's not foolish if it's an expression of a person who's received so much. You see, what's foolish is this. To ignore the blessing that could be theirs in Christ and pursue fame and popularity and prosperity and so on and so forth and make all of that their life go. And then in the end, as the scripture says, tonight your soul is required of you. Then whose will all of these things be? That's foolish. But the world thinks that's wise. They think it's wise. They think it's wise. You know, I have a little bit of a history buff. I, I, like, I like to read about people. And I like to, you know, see what happens in people's lives. And recently I was reading a little bit of a story about Greg Allman, you know, Allman Brothers Band. And some of you hippies remember that. And his whole life, you know, he, they became, you know, number one band in America and all this kind of stuff. And the amount of money that came in. And at the, end of, at the end of his testimony about all this, they asked him a question. They asked this question. If you had to do it all over again, would you do it? And he said, not on your life. It cost me everything. Five marriages. Kids all over the place, you know. Liver transplant from all the drugs. No, it wasn't worth it. See, at the time, he thought that was wise. The pursuit of all of that was wise. It seemed so exciting and so thrilling. The things of God were not thrilling to him. Which one's really wise? Those in this world who think they're gaining everything and in the end they lose it all? Or those in this world that lose it all for Christ and in the end gain everything? I say wisdom is Christ. That's wise. Well, the Bible reminds us here too that because of him, verse 30, we don't want to miss that. It's because of God, not because of you. See, the, the case that's being made here is that you've got nothing. Dude, there's nothing that we have to offer God. There's nothing in us that should incite grace, love, forgiveness. There's nothing in us that he wants. There's nothing in us that is cute to him. There's none of that kind of thing. It's just because of him. Because of him. Now, we come down to verse 31. And we're talking about how God does things. And how he works in people's lives. And the ones that he chooses. He builds a hall of no fame. 
Don't you want to be in that club? It doesn't seem like anything fun, but it's wise. And so he tells us the pedigree of it and the purpose. Now look at the praise for God's choice. Verse 31, so that. Here's another outcome of it all. The result of God doing it this way. As it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Praise for the Lord according to Scripture as it is written. As it is written, where is it written? Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 says this. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him boast in this. That he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love justice and righteousness in the earth for in these I delight declares the Lord what is our boast what do we have to brag about not what I've accomplished not how popular I am not if I'm in the hall of fame or not in the hall of fame none of those things what I have to boast about is this that I am in Christ that I know him and he knows me that's my boast Look at the praise now because of salvation. Let us boast where, what? In the Lord. The, the principle here, the law here, if you will, the, the principle is, is clear. God orders things in this world so that he rightly gets the credit. You say, well, that's egotistical of God. Not if you're flawless. Not if you're perfect. Where else should the credit go? Should it go to some flawed thing? Should it go to some sinful entity somewhere? Where should the credit go? The credit could, should go to the one who is all in all. The Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. The creator of all things. The redeemer of sinners. That's where the credit should go. He's consistent in working this way. And anytime we seek his work in a way that exalts humans, we can be assured that God is not in it. No one is going to be able to make it to heaven and say in the end, hey, I did it. The world has this mindset. It's about self-actualization. And the world's mindset, society's mindset is, I have to be freed from the shackles of Christianity and its influence so that I can be everything that I know that I really am. So they look at, They look at Christianity and they look at the teaching of the Bible as a shackle that's holding them back from self-actualization. Doesn't that sound endearing? The scripture says, find your life in connection to Christ and be freed from the shackles of sin. Those are our choices. Is it that we're trying to make much of ourselves so that we can be freed from the shackles and difficulties and laws of God? Is that our philosophy of life? Or do we find life in Christ and be freed from the shackles of sin? Remember again that the problem in Corinth was disunity. Disunity always occurs when we value people based upon power, prestige, and popularity. It always happens that way. This way of thinking always groups people And it gives status to those who are successful by the world's standards as compared with those who are not successful by the world's standards. And so it groups people. 
And you see it in churches, you know, where people do, you know, it looks like high school girls where everybody wants to be with a popular girl and they think that they're going to be popular because we're the popular girl, you know, and all that kind of stuff that goes on. It's ridiculous. And so you see that with adults and you think, I thought we were more mature than that. But you, what you find out, it's not a matter of age maturity. It's a matter of sin. And we value people based upon appearance. And we value them based upon popularity. We value them based upon status and accomplishment and so on and so forth. This is not saying we shouldn't encourage people. It's not saying that we shouldn't say, hey man, way to go. That's pretty awesome. But here's what it does mean. You can't think that person is of greater value than the person that didn't. That's, you see, let me, let me ask you this, this question. Let, let's just do a heart check for a moment. Okay, now I want to warn you, as the nurse says before you get your vaccine, now a little pinch. That ain't no pinch. You know, one thing, y'all in medical field, start being truthful, okay? It's going to hurt and burn and, you know, side of your head is going to swell up. So we need to check our own heart though, okay? So here, here's the question for us. When's the last time, and each one of us asked this to ourselves, I'm asking it for myself too. When's the last time you spent time with another brother or sister in Christ who is not in your social grouping? Maybe someone of a different age group or someone not in the same social strata that you're in. Maybe someone not in the same economic arena that you're in. Maybe someone not of the same educational level. Maybe someone has never attained a, obtained a high level of ec- economic success, success. When's the last time you spent time, legitimate time, with a brother or sister in Christ that was different from you in that way? Not out of pity. Not out of pity. But because you fully embrace this fact that in Christ Jesus you are the same. Fellow heirs of heaven. You, you think, well, I, I don't know what we would have in common. I, I don't know. They, they're not in this field. They're, you know what you have in common? Here's what you have in common. You have eternity in common. Talk about the things of eternity. Don't talk about the things you don't have in common in this world. Those are transitory anyway. You, you talk about the things you have in common. What do you have in common? You have Christ in common. Talk about him. You should be able to talk about him for a good solid hour over a cup of coffee, don't you think? Talk about him. If you can't do that, what does that say about your heart? I remember I was, when I was in, uh, living, Julie and I living in, in Africa, and I was trying to learn African language. All the educated people are supposed to learn French, Right? If you don't learn French and instead you learn the local language, that's the language for people that are not as educated. So I went for the local language. I figured it fit me better anyway. So, But I'm having to spend time with mechanics that can't read or write. But just to hear the language and be able to talk a little bit. And guys that were guardians, you know, guards. Uh, and, you know, people that didn't have an education. They could spell their name maybe. That's about it. And I'm spending time with them. And I'm learning the language just from the common guy. 
And, you know, I thought, number one, it's, it's, it's probably good for my pride to do this. And the, uh, the second thing is, this is how people just talk, you know. And I just kept praying, God, please don't let them teach me any curse words. Please don't let them teach me any curse words because I don't know if they are or not. I wouldn't know. And, um, and so, you know, we're doing that. And, and so one day, a guy that's a banker, he walks by. You know, he's an African. He's a banker. And he walks by and he says, you shouldn't be spending time with them. And I said, well, why not? And he said, you're too good for that. There's a caste system. I didn't know it. There's a caste system. And you're not supposed to interact with people that are in the lower caste of you. And I'm, you know, would have been obviously in a higher caste. I mean, a higher level of social standing. And you know what I did? I just kept going talking to the mechanics and, and the guards. You know, I just thought to myself, I have to model something different here about a Christian. Whether you like how it feels or not, something has to be modeled differently. But you know what? I've had that same thing in church before. Where someone told me you spend too much time with so-and-so who is just really almost a homeless person. I'm like, really? Do you know what started all the problems I've had in this church? Preaching the book of James. It just does. It rubs us the wrong way. Why? Because especially as Americans, we have learned to put so much emphasis on the outer and on the accomplishments and all of that stuff, which is good stuff. I mean, we should be pushing for that. You know, do the best we can in life. I'm all for that. But we start valuing each other based upon that. And people are important based upon that or not. And we start gravitating toward that because it makes us feel good to spend time with those who make us look good. And the, th- the thing about that is, is that's just not how God works at all. Here's something else to consider out of this as we bring this to a conclusion not only as Christians do we need to check our heart about how we view each other but here's the other thing maybe you're not a Christian maybe you're not a follower of Jesus here's some very 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 good news in verses 26 and following he doesn't say not any of you who are wise according to worldly standards And not any. He just says not many. You're not barred from the kingdom of heaven. If you've become rich in this world. If you've attained a a great high status of, you know, educational status. You're not barred from the kingdom of God. The problem is that you have a life probably of depending upon those things for your identity. You probably have a, a, a long period of time of looking at those things as how you gain importance. And the, the, the thing that has to happen first is you're, you're going to have to be humbled. You'll have to be humbled to the place where you say, God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Well, that's God's hall of no fame. I suspect that many of you fit right in. Sometimes people think, you know... I don't fit into church. I, you know, that's where all the rich people go. No, it's not. No, it's not. What are you talking about? You're making excuses. You're making excuses. Have you seen some of us? You're, you're just making excuses. You, you know, so you're making excuses. You, you, need, you, you need to get a hold of the gospel of Jesus. And then you'll realize it's not a sin to be rich. God just doesn't care. And neither do we. 
No one has to feel ashamed if they've attained things in this world. It's great. It's fine. You don't have to feel ashamed as a Christian. You're not doing anything wrong. But at the same time, if that's what you value, that's what you go for, that's what causes you to feel a certain way about yourself, and this is your identity, and you feel like it makes you better than people, man, there's a great spiritual problem in your life because God doesn't work that way at all. Why? So that no one can glory in his presence. Well, let's pray together. Father, uh, thank you for giving us this humbling section of the scriptures. And Lord, I pray that we would take it to heart and what your true meaning is. And Lord, in my effort to explain, I, I realize, God, it always comes far short of all that you mean. And I realize, God, that uh, the way that I can say it or explain it can cause people to become confused and may not be as clear so I pray, Father, by the Holy Spirit of God, that you would clarify all that you want us to know and to understand from the Scripture today. I pray, God, for those who are trusting in themselves today uh, rather than trusting in Christ. And I ask you, Lord, to help them to see the foolishness of that. They may have previously thought it's foolish to be a follower of Christ, that it's a crutch or it's a weakness or whatever. Let it be. So be it. But we have to decide, are we going to go into eternity based upon all that we have accomplished ourselves? Or are we going to stand in your presence, clothed with the righteousness of Christ? Those are our choices. I pray, Father, that you would help them to see that no one draws closer to you by all the things of this world. They only draw closer at the cross. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.